feels to me like Advent should feel. It feels the opposite of the horrific life decision I made yesterday when I took my daughter Trinity to Target. <laughs> I saw a few of you there, and you were not acting like Christians, so <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. It was actually me that was doing that. Um, but we, we've been saying uh, during Advent that we... Because of what Advent is, because of the story of Jesus, we want worship to feel a little different. We want to slow down. Um, We want to pause. We want to take it in. Maybe hear the story in some new and fresh ways. Um, This is the third year that we've done this deal called Advent Conspiracy. And it's a way of inviting us as a community, us as individuals, as families, as small groups, to try and live the story out in a different way. Um, Even thinking about how we spend our money, how we think about time. And one of the ways that we're trying to do it this year where we can inspire each other as a community is the red barn out in the lobby, the middle part, the black part in the middle, is actually a chalkboard. And we would love for you as individuals, as a family, as a small group, to go and write down maybe how you are serving somebody in our community during this season. And not out of bragging, but as a way to inspire Um, so that others can see what is going on and we can see that as a community we're making a difference in our community. And if you're doing something, if you're serving at, let's say, the Salvation Army or something like that and you have places for others to serve with you, just write down maybe an email or a phone number and uh, it would be cool for people to see that and call you and serve together. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's take it in. We're already asleep. Let's go home. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We started Advent last week and we kicked off an overview of a series that we are looking at the journey to Bethlehem. The different characters in the biblical narrative who go to Bethlehem and encounter Jesus. And what we're trying to do, we're going to do with the Magi this morning, we're trying to see in their story how it connects to our story. And how God, how the gospel speaks into our lives as we think about Advent, as we think about the Jesus story. One of the biggest struggles for me I've been in uh, ministry as a pastor for over 20 years now, but one of my biggest struggles for that first season of ministry was I disliked Christmas. I really did. I disliked Christmas. I didn't like the whole season of Advent. It just, there was something in it that didn't feel right. And I think it was, so often we take the Christmas narrative, we take the story, and we, we make it sort of a fairy tale. We brush off all the rough edges. We make it feel really good. And I think what we do is we miss the beautiful intensity that is this story. Where if we take the rough edges in, if we really look at the story for what it is, it's going to confront us in some really profound ways. It's going to speak truth to us in ways that might make us rethink what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's what we want to do during this series. And specifically this morning, probably more than the other characters, the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, the Magi, it's truly about kings and kingdoms and systems of power and what does it mean to be a Jesus follower submitting to King Jesus in the midst of that. So before we read the text, let me pray. Father, this is your word that points us to you, that reminds us that the most important thing is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, this morning, anything that I say that gets in the way of that, that gets in the way of your word speaking to us, your people, God, those words, please help them to fall to the ground that we would hear you. 
that you would encourage and comfort, that you would convict and challenge us this morning. We want that, we desire that. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to read straight down through the text this morning because I want us to hear the story and then I'm just going to recap it so we can understand where some of those rough edges are that we don't often see. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. This happened while Herod was king of Judea. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the child who has been born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, now we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about it, he was very upset. Everyone in Jerusalem was troubled too. So Herod called together all the chief priests of the people. He also called the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. This is what the prophet has written, he said. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not the least among the towns of Judah. A ruler will come out of you. He will rule my people Israel like a shepherd. That's a quote from Micah chapter 2. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men. He found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. He said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me. Then I can go and worship him too. After the wise men had listened to the king, they went on their way. The star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. It finally stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The wise men went to the house. There they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. But God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Such a key line. So they returned to their country on a different road. Let's recap this story and sort of hear some of the things that will help us understand how we can take it in. First of all, we have the Magi. They're a group of people. We don't know exactly who they are. They are astrologers, which was a big thing in the day, understanding the stars. Some would say they were mystic monks from a country far away. We don't know exactly who they are, but they're important in this story. So they come from the east, and they come into town, and Herod hears about why they've come. And it's intriguing, the text says that Herod is upset and so is all of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem is somehow troubled by this news. We don't know exactly where those feelings come from, but Herod, we know why he's upset. And that's going to be the essence of what we talk about this morning. Herod is the king of the Jews put there by the Roman emperor. He's not their king. He's been superimposed on them. They don't want him as king, but Herod has to keep his power. So Herod asks the religious leaders, brings them together, and he says, here's what I've heard, what about it? They quote Micah 5, 2, and one of the beautiful things that we know about the birth of Jesus is how much Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in his coming. The religious leaders point, and they say, it's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Herod calls, and you begin to imagine a little bit of what's going on. Herod calls the Magi to come and meet with him, this secret meeting, it says. And in this secret meeting, he sends them As his ambassadors, listen to that, Herod, the king of the Jews, who was put there, he's not a Jew, he sends these magi as his ambassadors basically to take care of the situations. Because we see in the text that they they were going to worship him. It's, It's meant to be sort of facetious. Herod is sending these guys to take care of the problem. And the problem is somebody else is claiming to be king. And if somebody else is claiming to be king, they're staking a claim on his kingship. 
This is all about kings and kingdoms. So the Magi are sent by Herod. They follow this star. And again, we don't know the exact significance of the star. Probably, more than likely, it points to the fact that they're astrologers. And one of the beliefs of that day was when something big happened in the sky. So if there are stars that lined up that made it so bright that they could follow it, something big happened in the sky, then something big was happening on earth. So the Magi go to Bethlehem. And they meet Jesus. We've said that's the whole point of what we want to talk about during this series. The different people that meet Jesus and how, what they bring, what they sort of have to give up, but how their life has changed. So they meet Jesus, the text says they bow down and worship, and then they are warned not to go back to Herod. Think about this. Magi sent by Herod, the Roman king of the Jews, Herod is all about power and influence. He's all about everyone acknowledging his power and influence. And he uses that power and influence to crush anybody that's going to get in his way. These magi are sent on his behalf to take care of the situation. And when they get there and they're confronted in Bethlehem in this lowly manger with King baby Jesus, what do they do? They simply bow down, ascribe worth, and authority to this infant as king. The story is all about kings and kingdoms. We have to talk about that if we're going to understand what we can take away from these magi. How our lives, we can sort of see our lives and our story in their story. It's interesting in the Gospels. 53 times we see the words, the kingdom of God. 32 times we see the words kingdom of heaven, and those are synonymous terms based on which gospel they're in. That's a lot. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. Gordon Fee, one of the wisest evangelical New Testament scholars of our time, he says this, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. He goes on to say, I'm sorry to say it so strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom and have therefore literally done Jesus in. If we are going to understand even the infant child who is God, if we are going to understand this, we have to understand the language of king so that we can see the story of the magi in our story. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom is simply a place or a people that are ruled over by a king. I would say the kingdom of God is this. Anywhere that individuals or community or groups of people are submitting their lives to Jesus as king. Anywhere where individuals, groups of people, whatever language you want to put in, different different collections of people, anywhere that people are submitting to Jesus as king and acting that out and living that out as though it's actually true. The kingdom of God, it's the very first thing that Jesus talks about, and it's the very last thing he talks about, which should tell us something, right? If you bookend a biography with something, then it should be, ah, let's let's chat about that a little bit. Mark 1, 15, the very first words of Jesus in his public ministry, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, he preached the good news of God. Now here's the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. 
Notice a couple of things going on here. God's kingdom is, is not simply something that is approaching, but it's God's own royal authority being acted out in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom. And the announcement, by the way, when we're announcing good news, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, it is exactly that. It's good news. It's meant to be. We saw in the text, Luke 2, it's good news for all people. And Jesus... He both shows us what it means to live in the kingdom and what the king is like. In his life, in his death, in his, in his birth, he shows us what this kingdom looks like. It's interesting. Throughout the accounts of Jesus' ministry, he's always talking about the kingdom. A lot of the parables explain what this kingdom is, is about. It's like a mustard seed. It's a treasure. It's a merchant looking for pearls. It's a king who gave a banquet. Jesus even defines his own purpose in light of this kingdom. It says in Luke 4.43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities, for I was sent for that purpose. Again, flags should go up in our minds saying, okay, I, I, I have to get my mind around this. What is this whole kingdom of God all about? Because for a lot of us, if I asked you what the kingdom of God is, and I've heard this throughout my 20 years in ministry, we would probably say the kingdom of God is something in our heart. Which is also a very new age way to look at it. That we minimize it to simply something that has gone on in our heart. And we often do this because we see it in scripture. Luke 17.21 says this, the kingdom of God is within you. But if we don't understand this in this context in its context we miss the meaning of this text by a mile and i think the meaning of this text will help us understand what it means for us to encounter jesus in bethlehem as this infant king and begin to live it out so yes to be sure the kingdom of god is touches humans hearts when people live under the rule of god their inner beings are healed we're transformed lives are renewed kingdom of God is within you. But it's not limited to some kind of internal, subjective, spiritual experience. We quoted the verse, the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. But it's usually, this verse is usually taken way out of context. So let me read verses 20 and 21 so we can understand what this text is actually saying about the kingdom of God. It says, once Jesus was asking, asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered, The king of, uh, kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, and here it is, the kingdom of God is entos haimon. Right? Everybody knows your Greek. If you could translate that, just write it in your Bible. The kingdom of God is entos haimon. And I purposely left that there so that we can get our minds around why this says what it says. You see, in this text, Jesus is not speaking to the disciples. Jesus is speaking to a group of Pharisees. And these Pharisees expected the kingdom of God to come with great signs. And the ultimate great sign in which the way the kingdom of God would come is that Rome would be overthrown. There would be a, re a revolt and Rome would be overthrown. And Jesus is saying to them, your expectations of the kingdom are misguided. He says, in fact, they're so misguided that the kingdom of God is entos haimon. 
Because if we look at other texts, we would know that Jesus isn't saying to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within you, the kingdom of God is in your heart. In the book of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, in talking about their hearts, he says, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. There's all kind of filth in your heart. So he's not saying look within your hearts to find the kingdom of God. Rather, he's saying the kingdom of God is entos haimon, it's in your midst. Another way you can translate that is among you. The kingdom of God is among you because I am among you. That's what they were missing. That Jesus himself embodies, is ushering in the kingdom of God. And so though God's reign transforms our hearts, God's reign embraces us, it's not limited to some inner experience. And you, we have to understand this because we minimize the kingdom of God and it loses its power and effectiveness. It's not limited to just this inner experience. It impacts actions, thoughts, relationships, families, institutions, governments. In the end, it will touch everything on earth as it does in heaven. In this kingdom of God, this expansive, big, beautiful kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, it comes in the most unexpected ways. An infant in Bethlehem in this manger. So back to our story. That's eight. We could spend hours talking about the kingdom of God. But I think it's important to understand it's more than just in here. It's this bigger reality that Jesus points to. He's about, he ushers it in. So back to our story. If the text about the Magi is about kings and kingdoms in the first century, I would say to us, it's still about kings and kingdoms. It's about the kingdoms of our lives. It's about the kingdoms of the world around us. The kingdoms of the world around us, it's anything. It's not, it's not always a person like it was Herod in the first century. It's anything that would rule over us, our lives, any system. It's anything that would rule over that is contrary to the way of Jesus as we see in the Bible. Anything. It can be anything around us. It can be the kingdom of lust, of anger, of politics. The kingdoms of pride and arrogance, the kingdoms of consumerism, the kingdoms of hate and fame, of wanting to be like, that's my king, that's what I worship. Kingdom of comfort. And I think the move, as we, like the Magi, encounter this Jesus, this infant child who is king, I think the invitation is to do something about it. And the first step is to look inside. One of the things that I think should be a normative practice of what we do is this. In your life, not the person next to you, but in your life, ask this. If Jesus is king, then what is not? What do you worship? What do you submit to? What do you let control you that you know is contrary to the way of Jesus? And then follow it up by asking for forgiveness. Gracious Father, forgive me for worshiping comfort instead of you, whatever it might be. And this is a good practice as we walk towards the table this morning to acknowledge there's brokenness in my life. There's things I worship that are not Jesus, that are so contrary to the way of Jesus. And the move is to ask God for forgiveness 
I think when we see this infant king, we have to leave the encounter changed. I think any time we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, we leave that encounter changed to people. There's an interesting story. It's a, called an apocryphal story that was written about 100 years after the story of the Magi. In this apocryphal story, which we don't know if it's true or not, that's why it's called apocryphal, there's a story about these Magi. And it tells the story also of when they went home, back to their land. And the story says that when they got back to their land, that they went around their land preaching the Christian faith. In other words, they had this encounter with the living God as a child. And it so transformed them that they went back to their land and they preached, the Christ, they preached this Jesus story. And I think many of us are like the Magi. In our day, in our time, we are people of power. We're people of influence. We have the ability to do things. And I think this story should be a challenge to us. A challenge of how do we use our power? How do we use our influence? Does it tell people about Jesus as king? Or does it tell people about us as king or some other thing? So as we leave this encounter, two questions. What influence have you been given? And how can you use it to tell people that Jesus is king? What influence, what power, what have you been given during this season? And how can you use it to actually make a difference in the name of Jesus? It might be telling a friend about the Jesus story. It might be making a lot hope for someone that would have no hope during the season. It might be slowing down enough to hear the pain in the lives of the people around you. And we ask these questions, we encounter stories like this during Advent because we're people of hope. You see, someday when we talk about the kingdom of God, someday we know that this kingdom will come in full power. That the mustard seed will become fully grown. The victory of God will be complete. And Revelation 21 tells us that in that day, God will wipe away every tear and he will be with his people. And the book of Re Revelation tells us that we will join with the heavenly chorus singing, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Friends, as we head to communion. We said it last week, we're going to do weekly communion throughout Advent. That's not normally what we do at Crossview. But we think this is a chance for us to slow down. Um, if you have children that you want to bring in for communion, we absolutely encourage that. So in a minute here, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing the doxology during that time. We encourage you to go and get your children. Uh, some of the kids among us this morning will be taking their first communion. They took a class. You don't have to take a class, but we offer a, a class annually where a family can learn about communion. So if you see someone with a little sticker on them, give them a big smile, a pat on the, on the back. Um, but this is a chance for us to slow down and reflect. During the next couple moments as we sing the doxology, I would encourage you, the scripture tells us to examine our hearts, our lives, to look inside and see the places where you need to ask forgiveness of God and receive his complete forgiveness over you. Father, God, I pray that in these next few moments, Lord, as we remember,
as we celebrate to remember what you did. God, that you would speak life and hope that this meal would satisfy God. We go to so many places for satisfaction to be filled, and they don't. They're mirages of, of something that only you can give us, God. So I pray that in remembering your death, what you did on the cross, God, that you would satisfy. In your name, in Jesus' name.